It's a great day today. You guys picked a great day to attend because we are starting our series over the prophet, the man, Elisha today. Elisha. And this is not Elijah. We covered him in the fall. If you missed that, you can check that out on our website, stapletonchurch.com, through our series on Elijah. But today we're talking about Elisha, and we're going to start that series in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. Now, the story of the beginning of Elisha and the beginning of his life and ministry that we see here in the Bible is very similar to the story that you see in a lot of adventures. Have you ever noticed this, that adventures that we like often start out very similarly? There's the main character, the protagonist, the hero, and it comes down on his life and things are very good. Things are comfortable. Everything's going well. They're at home. Life is good. They're going about their job or whatever, and, and things are okay. Things are fine. You, we see this with Luke Skywalker, right? Things are fine on his home planet. He's, he's having a good time. You see this with Bilbo and Frodo Baggins. They're hanging out in the Shire. They don't want to go anywhere. Things are good. You might see this with Neo, too. You know, in the Matrix. He, he, he's, life is good. He's got his job. You know, maybe It's just comfortable. Things are okay. And these adventures often start out that way because then they get called to something greater, right? Whether it's a disaster happening or something happening to their family or or this call, and they don't really want to go at first because things are good, but they have to go. And that's when the adventure begins. You know, this uh, pattern shows up so often in stories, in narratives, that it has a term, and it's called the hero's journey. Hero's journey. There's one mythologist who, who studied this, and that's what he termed it. He said that you see this all over in so many different stories. And I think it shows up again and again in fiction, in movies, in books that we like. It's because it's something that a lot of us can relate to. Life is pretty good. We have our family. We have our job. Things are comfortable. And when there's this calling to do something new or or something else, we might have dreamed of something greater, but we're a little scared. (laughs) We're a little scared to get off and do that journey. And that's what the hero's journey is about. And that's what we're going to see with Elisha. And I think that we can connect to it too because Elisha would do some amazing things. Amazing, incredible things he got to take part in. He got to be with Elijah who performed lots of miracles, who stood before kings unafraid. And Elisha got to witness all that. And then he got to experience and perform even greater miracles. You know, most people know the name Elijah But Elisha kind of gets short shrift, which is funny because he almost has double the stories in the Bible. And some of his miracles are even greater than the ones Elijah performed. And before Elisha could experience any of that, he was comfortable at home. He was plowing his field. Things were good. But he got called to something greater. And I think that Jesus gives us all a call to something greater. We may be comfortable. Things may be pretty good in our life. We like the way things are right now. But God has something even better for us. And I want, through this series, and especially through our message today, for your eyes to be open. The eyes of your heart. Because we can't really see the greater things sometimes. It's hard to know what that's going to be. I don't think Elisha knew all that was in store for him. There's no way he could have. And there's no way we can know what God has in store for us in our life. But he is calling us to something greater. And I hope that your eyes can be open to that. That's why I've called this series, Seeing the Unseen. Because there's this whole world that God wants you to experience. Something even greater than you could imagine. And he's inviting you on that journey with him. So that's what we're going to see throughout our series. This seeing the unseen. And it's really faith, isn't it? That's what faith is. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we read, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for 
and assurance about what we do not see. What we do not see. It's seeing the unseen. Seeing the things that no one else can see. This world that God has, the spiritual realm that some of us maybe aren't even aware of. And I want our eyes to be open so that we have this faith, the eyes of our heart, to be open today and through this series to the greater thing that God has for our lives. So let's go ahead and, and pick up on Elisha's story in 1 Kings chapter 19, 19. It says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. So here is Elisha in the middle of work. He's plowing the fields. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's working hard. Life is probably pretty good for Elisha. He's in his fields. He's in his fields. Now what's interesting about this is that we, as city dwellers, don't really understand how important the land is. Because this is probably Elisha's land or his family's land as we'll come to see here in just a minute. And he's working it. He has his 12 oxen, which means he had quite a bit. This isn't just a small farm. This is a big farm. Things are going well for his family. And we really don't, as city dwellers, understand the importance of land. I I think I began to understand a little bit of it because I spent about six years in Nebraska. And the people there were, were tied to the land because they farmed the land. They worked the land. They owned it. It had been in their family sometimes for generations. And they planted or they had the land for their cattle or or whatever it was. And the land was so important to them. They loved the land. They built their farmhouses on the land and and they lived in the same house their grandparents had lived in. The land was important. And this really stood out to me one time I was there because I was asked to do a funeral for this man. And and we go and we do the normal funeral in, in the funeral home. And then they say, okay, now just follow us. Follow us to the graveyard. I said, okay. I, this is a new place. I hadn't really been. So we, we started driving and driving. And it was in the fog. And I'm so glad I was right behind them because I could, there's no way I ever could have found this. Because we went turned and turned and on these dirt roads and in the back and the gravel. And you're way out there. And we come to this little field. There's, there's hardly anything here. What's going on? So we go out into this field. A cow pasture. There are literally cows in the field. And the men had gotten up really early that morning. And they had taken pickaxes and shovels and had dug a hole in this field. It was the family field. And only in this plot were the people who had been buried in their family. So as we were burying this man and and finishing up the funeral there, uh, doing the ceremony, this was their land, right? Their family had been there for generations. And they would be for generations to come. Land is so important. And this is where Elisha is on his land, given to them by God according to the Old Testament. Their families have been their generation and Elijah comes up to him and puts his cloak around him, symbolizing it's time to come with me. I have a new job. I have a new career. I have a new life for you. Things are good right now. You're comfortable. But you have to come with me. You have to follow me. That's what Elijah is calling him to. And this is a difficult thing to do. I had a friend in school who had actually grown up in Nebraska on a dairy farm. And all his life he had worked the farm, gone out there every morning, you know, to milk the cows. And he was used to that. And and his dad had always planned to give him the farm when he was old enough. But he felt called to a different career. Felt God telling him to do something different. And I remember talking to him one day because he was having such a hard time because his dad had told him, you need to make a decision. I'm selling the farm if you want to go into this career. 
everything, their families, for generations that they had, this land was going to be gone. The business was going to be gone. It was comfortable. It was safe. It was a way to make money, right? But when God calls you to something different, sometimes you have to leave the comfortable behind. And it's hard. And like I mentioned, this was quite a large farm. With 12 oxen, this would have been enormous. Okay, this is the type of farm that had huge machinery that you may drive through today. Okay? These things that are like quarter million dollar pieces of machinery. Maybe you've seen them. Maybe some of you are from farm country. These are enormous farms. And this is what Elisha either owned or was his parents. Meaning this would be his inheritance. This was his. When his parents would pass away, his father, it would become his land solely. He would own everything. And he would have been wealthy. He would have been well off. His, he could have taken care of his kids and grandkids to come. Everything would have been there. His inheritance was there. But to follow Elisha meant giving up that inheritance. Giving up that thing that he had had for years and, and probably planned to have for years to come. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus gives a similar call because he was talking to some men and one of them wanted to go back and bury their, his father and then this third man came up to Jesus and says, another man also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to those at my home. And Jesus told him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I believe that Jesus was referencing this story. Because the man wasn't saying, hey, I want to go back to my fields. He was saying, I want to go back home. I think Jesus was saying, hey, Elisha faced this similar situation where he was at home. Things were good. He had his entire property, his inheritance that he would give to his children and their grandchildren, you know? This was going to be in their family forever. And Jesus is referencing them and saying, hey, I am calling every single one of you to follow me. And what that means is you will leave that earthly inheritance behind. You will leave your family behind. In verse 20, it says that Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Ran. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come back with you. Hmm. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Now, that phrase, what have I done to you, has puzzled uh, interpreters for years. What does it mean? What, because it's a very unique Hebrew phrase. We're trying to understand what it means. And, you know, I don't know 100% sure, so don't take this to the bank. But this is what I think. You know, sometimes I'm sure than others. This one I'm not too sure, but, but I think it's true. When you look at the context of this passage, I think that Elijah is worried that Elisha has now had too much. It's too hard. I think he's worried that Elisha is going to go back to his family, see his parents, and they're going to talk him out of it. He's worried that this person that he's calling to follow him and become his servant and learn from him and, and pass on the mantle of being the prophet of the nation to, I think Elijah is worried that he's losing him. What have I done to you? And the reason I think this is because this comes in the passage, chapter 19. Do you remember going through this? This is when Elisha was at his lowest point in life. He was depressed. He didn't want to go on living. Everyone had abandoned him. And he just felt so alone. In fact, he cried out to God, God, why is there no one else? It's only me. I'm the only one who's faithful to you left in the entire land. And that wasn't true. 
But Elijah had distorted his thinking so much to feeling so alone. He was out in the desert. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He just felt like life wasn't worth living anymore. And God gave him a promise. God said, hey, you're not alone. And in fact, I'm going to give you a man named Elisha who's going to become your servant. And he's going to be with you. You're going to have a partner, a friend to be with you the rest of your life. So Elijah's taken that promise. He said, okay, thank, God, thank you, God, for that promise. And he goes and finds Elisha. And now Elisha is saying, hey, let me go say goodbye to my parents. I think Elijah's worried. And why wouldn't he be? Most of us, if given that opportunity, do we leave everything behind, our inheritance, our family, so that we can follow after this new thing? That's difficult to do. And I think maybe for Elisha, it was tempting. Why not just stay where it's comfortable? That's what happens in the hero's journey every time. They don't want to go on the adventure. No, 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 things are okay right now. I don't, I don't need that adventure in my life. I don't need that thing. It, it sounds fun, but that's maybe not for me. Maybe not for me. You know, I was speaking to someone this week, and they're feeling called their family to, to move from here and, and live overseas. That's a big thing, right? That's leaving your family behind, literally. And they were having a discussion with their parents, and the parents were like, we don't want to lose our family. But if you feel God calling you to follow him, that means leaving our families behind. That's what it meant for Elisha, what it means for us as well. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus said, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoa. The call of Jesus means to leave everything behind. To leave our family who we love, who love us, behind. It means that we're going to say that Jesus is more important. And what he calls us to is more important than what our family thinks. You know, I, I had a specific call to become a pastor. Some of you have a specific call to uh, work in a particular vocation or move to a certain location. We all have different calls in our life. But I knew I wanted to be a pastor, and I remember talking to a family member about it and how I was just going to plan to do that. And I'm, in my college degree, I'm getting in communication, which is a pretty worthless degree in any other field, right? Let's be honest. And, and then I'm going to go to seminary. I'm, I'm going full steam ahead to be a pastor. And this family member said to me, well, I think you should get a backup plan. You should get a degree so you can have a backup plan and a career in case you need it. That's what my family's saying, but I, I knew that God was calling me a pastor, and I had to do it, even if I don't have a backup plan. Even if I don't have a backup plan. Because the call of Jesus supersedes every other call in our life. When Jesus becomes our master, everyone else become subservient to that. There was a new recruit in the Navy and he had asked his commanding officer for, uh, for leave for the weekend, for a wedding. And the officer said, okay, sure, I'll grant you leave, but you need to be back by 7 p.m. Sunday night. The, the young recruit said, 7 p.m., that, 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 that doesn't work. You don't understand, I'm in the wedding. To which the officer replied, no, you don't understand. You're in the Navy. <laughs> See, there are things in our life that take precedence over everything else. And the call of Jesus is the highest. 
It means leaving even our family behind. Even our family behind. So what does Elisha do when he goes home? Verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Wow. Faced with this great inheritance, a lot of wealth, he burns his plow. He slaughters his oxen. There is no going back. There's no going back for Elisha. This is what he has been called to. That's why I couldn't have a backup plan. Because I knew what God had called me to. And when he calls us to follow, we can't go back. There's no turning back. So like Jesus said, you can't put your hand to the plow again. When he calls us, we must follow. We must go where he commands. So some of you in here have a backup plan. Some of you in here are holding on to something in your life. And maybe Jesus is calling you to leave that thing behind. Maybe the plow that you need to burn is a substance that you need to flush down the toilet. Or some liquid that you need to pour down the sink. Maybe it's a relationship you need to end, or a job you need to quit. Or maybe you need to move. Maybe there's something Jesus is calling you to right now, and you need to do it. Maybe you've been feeling Jesus pulling you to start a new relationship with him. But you've kind of been holding back. You've kind of been straddling the fence. And and maybe you come here on Sundays and you pretend to be a Christian. Or you, you are a Christian, right? But in the rest of your life, you're not kind of playing both sides of the fence. And it's time to make a decision to leave everything behind, even if it means no turning back. Even if it means no turning back. Because the amazing thing, the amazing thing about Elisha and what happens when we follow Jesus is that what we give up is good. But what we gain is even greater. There's an interesting part, and we're going to cover this story more next week. But in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah is going to leave. It's his last day on earth, and Elisha knows it. But the last thing he asks of Elijah before he leaves, he says, would you give me a double portion of your spirit? Interesting. And I had always assumed double portion meant like, I want to do twice as many miracles as you. I want to have twice as much power and everything. And I think to a certain extent that's what it means. But that's not literally what it means. In Hebrew, a double portion was a technical term. You can read this in the book of Deuteronomy or in some other places in the Old Testament. A double portion was the inheritance given to the firstborn son. You see, um, uh, just imagine there's a father with two sons, and it could go with as many sons as there were. But the firstborn son got a double portion. So if there were two sons, the father would divide everything he had in thirds. The youngest son would take one portion, and the firstborn son would get double. Literally double. It was meaning that was carrying on the father's legacy to this firstborn son. It was part of their tradition and part of their culture. But it was saying, ah, I'm going to be the firstborn son and I will have an inheritance. So when Elisha asked Elijah, before you leave, would you give me a double inheritance? That's what he's asking for. See, he had given up his earthly inheritance. He had burned his plows. He had slaughtered his oxen. There was no going back to that. He's saying, give me a new inheritance, something even greater. And that is exactly what he received. 
We'll see next week as Elijah begins, Elisha begins to perform some miracles and do these stories that are even greater than anything Elijah did. And he would see and experience. He would stand before kings and they would listen to him. He had power and authority. He got to experience and see something so much greater than he ever could have had if he stayed comfortable on his farm. It was good there. God had called him something greater. So that's our big idea today. To discover something greater, you have to leave the good behind. The good is good. It's okay. God is not saying your family is evil and awful. He's not saying the farm is bad. In fact, some of us are called to be farmers, called to be in different vocations. God isn't necessarily telling you to quit your day job right now, though he might. What he is saying is that you have to leave that behind. Let go of it. There's no turning back. And now, seek for something even greater. You know, Jim Collins, of course, in his book, that the enemy, he says, the enemy of great is good. Have you ever heard that? It's true. In order to receive what's greater, to find that, in order to get it in your life, you have to leave the good behind. It's not saying it's bad, but we have to leave it behind. Pursue what's greater, and pursuing what is greater is following Jesus. It's following Jesus. What's amazing is that when you do follow Jesus, you are given an inheritance greater than any inheritance you could ever receive from your family. In Matthew uh, chapter 19, verse 29, Jesus says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. Think of what you will inherit. Something so much greater than you ever could in this earthly life. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul has this prayer, and this is my prayer for you today and for this series. He prays, Then with the eyes of your hearts enlightened, seeing the unseen, you will know the confidence that is produced by God having called you, the rich glory that is His inheritance among the saints, and the unlimited greatness of His power for us who believe. God says, I have all the power in the universe. I want to give it to you. You will reign with me. You will rule with me. You will have eternal life to reign forever and ever. What you gave behind will pale in comparison to what you will gain. But to discover what's greater, you have to leave the good behind. You have to leave the good behind. You know, the amazing thing about the way we receive that is through Jesus. Because I think Jesus went through that hero's journey as well. Because Jesus was comfortable, everything was good in heaven. He had angels serving him. But he emptied himself and became a servant. Living among us, serving us, and giving his life. Dying on the cross for us. He gave that all up so that we could gain a greater inheritance. It's possible through Jesus. And that's why when he calls us to follow, he's saying, yeah, you're going to leave some good things behind. But what you're going to gain is even greater. There was this young girl. um, Her name was Kelly. And Kelly uh, one day was with her mom at a retail store. And on the way out, she saw this little plastic pearl necklace. She saw it and it was in this cardboard box. And she said, oh, mom, I want that. I want that. I want that. Can I please have that? 
And the mom said, okay, but you need to buy it with your own money. So, so Kelly went home and she did all sorts of extra chores to earn some extra quarters. And she came back and when she had uh, earned $2, she went back and bought this plastic necklace. And she loved it. She put this pla- plastic necklace on and never stopped wearing it. Only for baths would she ever take it off. It's the only time. But she wore it and loved it no matter what she was doing. She wanted to show it off. She wore it so much that it started to fade and kind of turn greenish. <laughs> fake pearl necklace. No, but she loved it. One night, her father was tucking her in at night and he said to her, um, Kelly, do you love me? And she said, of course I love you, Dad. And he said, oh, w- w- would you give me your necklace? And she said, no, Dad, I love you. You can have my teddy bear, but not this necklace. So the next night, the dad was tucking her in again, and he said, Kelly, do you love me? She said, of course I love you, Dad. Well, would you give me that necklace? She said, no, 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 no Dad, anything. I'll give you my favorite sweater, but, but not the necklace. The third night, the dad finally went back, and he said, Kelly, would you please give me that necklace? She said, well, Dad... I love you so much. Here it is. And he took out of his pocket a new box, a fancy box. And he opened it and there was blue velvet inside. And it was a brand new, real pearl necklace that wouldn't fade. That was perfect. She took it and wore it and it was even better, right? See, the father had that in mind the whole time. That's what he has in mind for us. We might have to give up things that are good, things we even love. But when we give them up, we'll gain something even greater. So my question that I'm leaving with you today is what is God calling you to leave behind? What's he asking you? Is there something God is asking you to leave behind right now? It might be challenging, it might be tough, it might be something really good. But when he calls us to follow him, When he calls us to obey, it's worth it. He has something even greater than we could imagine in store for us. So please think about that. I'm going to close in prayer, and then Gary um, Lidholm is going to come up and lead us in prayer. We're going to do prayer, because it's our 21 days of prayer, we're going to do a special prayer time in each of our services this month. Um, And the band's going to come up as well. So let's pray. God, you've called us to follow. It's a difficult call. It's challenging. It challenges us to our core. But I pray that we would be like Elisha. Willing to burn our plows. Willing to slaughter the oxen. To give up the thing that we've been holding on to. That we've been clinging to. You know, for, for the person in here who, who's a first time Christian and they've never decided to follow you. They've been holding on to their life. I pray that you would help them let go. Maybe you would challenge them to step into the waters of baptism. And, and say, declare to the world that they follow you. Maybe for someone else who, who they've already made that decision to follow you, but they're still holding on to something. There's something that they still just held on to in their life that saying, that is kind of my thing. God, would you challenge them to let go, to burn their plow, to slaughter their oxen, and follow you with all their heart. Because you have something so much greater for all of us. And I pray that you would help us see that with the eyes of our heart. In Jesus' name. Amen.